0: Welcome to A Minder, a podcast where we summarize the latest publications on neurodegenerative disease research so that you can stay up to date with the newest findings. Every month, our team of scientists will sort and organize the titles into themes and present shortened versions of the abstracts. We'll make sure to mention the title, the journal, the first author, and the last author for each publication. Whether you're in the lab, on the bus, or cooking your meal, we hope you find this podcast helpful.
1: Hello everyone, my name is Joseph and I will be your host today. I am a PhD student in the Rankin Lab from the University of British Columbia, studying the genetics of Parkinson's disease using C. elegans as a model system. While my academic focus is in another neurodegenerative disease, I am also interested in learning more about the landscape of research for other diseases. In this episode, I will be covering papers on clinical studies or meta-analysis of previous clinical studies pertinent to Alzheimer's disease published in June 2020. There are 10 papers, so this episode will be short and sweet. As with the case of all of our episodes, this episode comes with a timestamped bibliography. If you hear an article that you'd be more interested in, you'd be able to check out the paper. To subscribe to this feature, please check out the show notes. Now, let's get started. The first paper is titled biopsy pathology and immunohistochemistry of a case of immune-mediated drug-induced liver injury with atabesostat. This paper was published in Hepatology, and the first author is Dejong, and the last author is Nasebit. Previously, the development of beta-secretase inhibitor atabesostat for those that have preclinical stage Alzheimer's disease was suspended because of concerns surrounding liver enzyme elevations, uh, specifically alanine aminotransferase, or ALT, in some participants who are in phase 2 or phase 3 trials. This study saw that 24% of treated subjects had ALT elevations above 1.5 fold of upper limit normals, and 10.9% had above 3 fold upper limit normals. However, the time course of these elevations was heterogeneous and often uh, and values often normalized while on treatment. In some cases, these elevations continued to rise even after treatment was stopped. In all cases, the observed abnormalities eventually went away. While this paper suggests that one should not be too worried about liver injury as a side effect of atapesostat, more research is required to fully rule this effect out. The second paper is titled Safety, Efficacy, and Feasibility of Intranasal Insulin for the Treatment of Mild Cognitive Impairment and Alzheimer's Disease Dementia a randomized clinical trial. This paper was published in JAMA Neurology. The first author is Kraft. The last author is Eisen. This study investigates the efficacy of intranasal insulin as a treatment for those with mild cognitive impairments and Alzheimer's disease in a clinical study spanning from 2014 to 2018. This double-blinded clinical trial subjected a total of 289 participants to receive 40 international units of insulin or placebo for 12 months. Mean score change on the Alzheimer's disease assessment scale, cognitive stop scale, was evaluated at 3-month intervals, and secondary clinical outcomes were assessed at 6-month intervals. In this study, two devices were used to administer insulin. The first one, used for 49 participants, had inconsistent reliability, after which a second device was used instead. This clinical trial found that there were no cognitive or functional benefits observed with intranasal insulin treatment over a 12-month course. On to the next paper, Probiotics for Dementia, a systematic review and meta analysis of randomized controlled trials. Published in Nutrition Reviews, the first author for this paper is Kruger, the last author is Rabito. For quite some time now, animal studies have indicated that on top of aging, the intestinal microbiota may impact the neurodegeneration process of dementia through the gut-brain axis. If you are interested in learning more about the relationships between gut microbiome and Alzheimer's disease, we do have an episode dedicated to this, along with oxidative stress, autophagy, and metabolism. Check it out. Here, the authors conducted a review and meta-analysis on the efficacy of probiotics and symbiotic supplements on the cognitive function of individuals with dementia. Probiotics contain colonies of microorganisms to strengthen the intestinal flora. Symbiotics, on the other hand, mean the intake of both probiotics and prebiotics, uh, prebiotics containing undigestible fibers that selectively stimulate the microorganisms in the intestinal flora. Randomized clinical trial data from clinical trial databases from the inception to January t- 2019 were extracted according to Cochrane guidelines. Then, these data were pulled by inverse-variance random effects meta-analyses. The clinical trial databases they looked at include MEDLINE, BVS, psy CENTER, among others. Here, they narrowed down on three randomized clinical trials involving 161 individuals receiving lactobacillus and bifidobacterium strains. These studies showed no beneficial effect of probiotic supplementation on cognitive function, but probiotics did improve plasma triglycerides, very low-density lipoprotein cholesterol, insulin resistance, and plasma malondialdehyde. The authors concluded that the current evidence is insufficient to support the clinical applications of probiotics and synbiotics to improve symptoms of individuals with dementia. Following along the same topic of the microbiota, our next paper is a case study titled Rapid Improvement in Alzheimer's Disease Symptoms Following Fecal Microbiota Transplantation, a case report. This single author paper was published in the Journal of International Medical Research by Hazan. Like the previous paper, this work investigates the possible role of the intestinal microbiota in treating AD. Here, the author reports on a patient with Alzheimer's disease that was treated with fecal microbiota transplantation for a C. difficile infection. Following treatment, this patient experienced improvements in symptoms. However, more clinical trials would need to be conducted to explore the efficacy of fecal microbiota transplantation in treating symptoms of Alzheimer's disease. The next paper is titled The Comparative Efficacy of Multiple Interventions for Mild Cognitive Impairments in Alzheimer's Disease, a Bayesian Network Meta-Analysis. This work is published in Frontiers of Aging Neuroscience. The first author is Lai, the last author is Tang. Mild cognitive impairment, which I will refer to as MCI from now on, occurs at the beginning of Alzheimer's disease. Here, The authors studied and ranked the various treatment methods for MCI to find an optimal intervention and to prevent or delay Alzheimer's disease onset. Published single- or double blinded randomized controlled trials up to September 2019 were extracted from four English databases and three Chinese databases. Of this massive database, 28 trials consisting of 6,863 participants were deemed eligible and extracted for consequent analysis. Pairwise and network meta-analyses were conducted to assess effectiveness through direct and indirect evidence from each study. Here, the authors included nine total interventions, including four pharmacological therapies that include cholinesterase inhibitors, ginkgo, nimodipine, and Chinese medicine, and four non-pharmacological therapies, which are acupuncture, music therapy, exercise therapy, and nutrition therapy, uh, and a control group. The primary outcome assessed was the main mental state examination or NMSE, and the secondary outcome was the Alzheimer's disease assessment scale, cognitive subscale. I will refer to this as ADAS from NOT. Of all the treatments studied, music therapy appears to be the best treatment followed by acupuncture. For ADAS outcomes, acupuncture ranked the best. The authors are hopeful that findings from the study can contribute to updating and developing the treatment guidelines for MCI in Alzheimer's disease. If you want to hear more about non-pharmacological approaches, check the episode that we have dedicated to this topic, hosted by Nyla. Moving on, this paper is titled, Spermine and Spermidine Modulate T-Cell Function in Older Adults With and Without Cognitive Decline Ex Vivo. This paper is published in Aging. The first author is Fisher, the last author is, uh, forgive me, Bogogosang. Oral polyamine intake has been shown to improve memory performance, possibly in part by increased autophagy induced in brain cells. Here, the authors studied the use of polyamines, mainly spermine and spermidine, on a number of autophagy metrics uh, that include T-cell activation, autophagy, and the release of Th1, Th2 cytokines from blood samples in patients with cognitive impairments or dementia in comparison to healthy controls ex vivo. Here, they saw that spermine downregulated all cytokines in a dose-dependent manner. However, spermidine upregulated some cytokines in lower dosages, but downregulated nearly all cytokines except for IL-17A in higher doses. Autophagy and T-cell activation increased in a dose-dependent manner with either polyamine. In lower concentrations, the alterations observed with either polyamine were similar to controls. This study provided novel evidence that supplementation of polyamines altered the function of T-cells. This could indicate a possible mechanism by which polyamines can help prevent cognitive decline in dementia and aging. The next paper is titled, Diclofenac Reduces Risk of Alzheimer's Disease, a pilot analysis of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, or NSAIDs, in two U.S. veteran populations. Published in Therapeutic Advances in Neurological Disorders, this work is done by first author Stuve and last author Little. The authors here studied whether specific NSAID agents are associated with decreased frequency of Alzheimer's disease in cohorts of veterans. The NSAIDs studied were Diclofenac, etodolac, and Naproxen. The pharmacy transaction records from U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs combined with two separate Veteran Affairs sites were used as data. Days of drug exposure for Diclofenac, etodolac, and Naproxen were determined from these records. The authors found that the frequency of Alzheimer's disease was significantly lower in those that used clofenac compared to etodolak and aproxin. Particularly, because aproxin had been shown to have no effect on the development of Alzheimer's disease, it was chosen as the comparison drug or the comparator drug. Etodolak also had no effect on the development of Alzheimer's disease. In contrast, the clofenac had a significantly lower hazard ratio of Alzheimer's disease. Not surprisingly, Age at the end of the study was also found to be a major factor in the development of AD, and the medication-based disease index was also a strong predictor for Alzheimer's disease. This can mean that as comorbidities increase, the risk of Alzheimer's disease also increases very significantly. Taken together, authors conclude that not all NSAIDs work the same, but Teclofenac and other NSAIDs in the same class may be promising agents in preventing onset of Alzheimer's disease. Our next paper is published in Frontiers in Aging Neuroscience. With first author Li and last author Lin. It is titled Prevention of Early Alzheimer's Disease by Arenacin A Enriched Heresium erinaceus Mycelia Pilot Double Blind Placebo Controlled Study. H. erinaceus, also known commonly as Lan's main mushroom or Satyr's beard, is a medicinal mushroom used commonly as a delicacy in several Asian countries. The authors here studied the efficacy of three Arenacin A Enriched H. erinaceus Mycelia or EAHE capsules for daily treatment of patients with mild AD. Following a three-week no-drug screening period, participants are subjected to 49-week double-blind treatment period, where they are given either three 5mg per gram EAHE capsules per day or placebo. Throughout the study period, participants were subject to cognitive tests, ophthalmic examinations, biomarker collection, and neuroimaging. The authors found that patients treated with EAHE capsules demonstrated higher scores in three separate functional and cognitive assessments and achieved higher or better contrast sensitivity. Adverse side effects were rare. Out of 41 participants, four subjects had to drop out of the study due to abdominal discomfort, nausea, and skin rash. The penultimate article is titled Design and Rationale of the PACT-MD Randomized Clinical Trial. Prevention of Alzheimer's Dementia with Cognitive Remediation plus Transcranial Direct Current Stimulation and Mild Cognitive Impairment and Depression This work is published in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease by first author Raji and last author Molsat. In this article, the authors describe the design of a multi-site clinical study using a novel intervention aimed towards preventing long-term cognitive decline and incidence of Alzheimer's disease and related disorders or mild cognitive impairments. This trial, called Prevention of Alzheimer's Dementia with Cognitive Remediation plus Transcranial Direct Current Stimulation in Mild Cognitive Impairment and Depression, or PACT-MD for short, randomized 375 older participants with MCI, remitted major depressive disorder without MCI or MDD, or MCI and MDD uh, patients, to Cognitive Remediation and Transcranial Direct Current Stimulation 5 days a week for 8 months, followed by boosters for 5 days a week, for once every six months until participants progress to MCI, or Alzheimer's disease, or related disorders, at the end of the study. Participants will undergo clinical, cognitive, and functional assessments at baseline, end of eight weeks, and annually from baseline to study the efficacy of PACT-MD in preventing long-term cognitive decline, incidence of Alzheimer's disease in related disorders, or MCI, and cognitive improvements. Biomarkers will also be collected from participants to explore any moderating or mediating effect of PACT MD. Uh, we remain excited to hear from results of the study in the future. On to the last article titled Safety, Tolerability, and Pharmacokinetics of Cornezumab in Patients with Mild to Moderate Alzheimer's Disease Treated with Escalating Doses for Up to 133 Weeks. This article is published in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease by first author Guthrie and last author Whisky. This study is centered around carnazumab, which is a monoclonal anti-amyloid beta immunoglobulin G4 antibody that was designed to treat Alzheimer's disease. Here, authors describe the Phase 1b study evaluating the safety, tolerability, and pharmacokinetics of the intravenous administration of equal to less than 120 nanograms per kilogram carnazumab every four weeks on patients with Alzheimer's disease. Patients aged 50 to 90 years with mild to moderate Alzheimer's disease and amyloid-positive PET scans were randomized to receive carnezumab in varying concentrations or placebo intravenously every 4 weeks for 13 weeks. Approximately 94% of the participants have at least one adverse event, but most were mild or moderate. 15.5% experienced an adverse event at grade 3 or greater. Overall, carnezumab doses at equal to or less than 120 mg per kilogram intravenously every 4 weeks were relatively well tolerated. This finding was consistent with results from previous trials. And that's it for this episode. It's a short one, but I hope you found it as helpful as the longer ones and learned as much from this episode as I did. The landscape of clinical research is a new one for me, and I definitely had a lot of fun summarizing and hosting this episode. Thank you for listening, and over to Sarah for some final words before we wrap up. Goodbye, and see you next episode.
0: That's it for this episode. A huge thank you to the team that is working on sorting, summarizing, and scripting these abstracts, as well as the operations behind Aminder. The music is from Journey of a New Transmitter by Anusha Kamesh, musician and fellow scientist, and a member of the Aminder team. You can find the original piece and her other music on SoundCloud under Anusha Kamesh or on her YouTube channel. AK music. Interested in joining the team? Give us a shout! We can always use help with content development, podcast editing, advertising, and you can be part of a new and exciting venture. Reach us by email at aminderpodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter. Oh, we're also on Facebook now. Don't forget to subscribe to our mailing list if you want access to the bibliography for each of our episodes. The references come with timestamps. Hmm timestamps, so you can more easily locate the paper that caught your interest. Check our notes below for details on how to sign up. And very close to this, you'll also find a link to our feedback survey. Because, yeah, your feedback matters to us. So please, pretty please, let us know how we can make this podcast a better tool for you. And last but not least, thank you for tuning in with us. And on this note, we hope you found our podcast useful and accessible. Until next time!